Hey, this is Wilson. As always, I'm joined by uh, two of my prestigious co-hosts, Shane Christopher Murray and Jason Big Mitch Mitchell. Um, Galvez couldn't make it tonight. Uh, and Vito might hop on, uh, but if he is, if so he's going to have to hop on uh, while we're in the process of this interview. We have a very special guest tonight, uh, the Shane Murray booked as always. Shane Murray, the booking agent of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. This man is a legendary author of uh, sports uh, biographies. I think he's written over 70 um, books. Um, some of his biographies include uh, works about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Phil Jackson, Johnny Unitas, Tom Brady, Jerry West. Um, he's also written books about the, uh, the, the whole Chicago Bulls teams and Lakers teams. And uh, his, his book coming up, his uh, next book, is called uh, Magic, uh, The Life of Urban Magic Johnson. It comes out on October 24th. Um, but we'd like to welcome to the show tonight, Mr. Roland Lazenby. Roland, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How are you all doing? Thank you. Great. It's an honor to have you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Feeling a little full. Just had dinner. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, I think we should start with uh, just for people maybe who aren't as familiar with your work as, as we are. Like, what what got like what was like what were your your origins and uh, and what would you say got you started on the path to uh, being a, an author of so many uh, sports biographies? Um, well, I was never a real good student. I I. I uh, uh, never thought I'd be anything like a writer and uh, graduating the bottom fourth of my high school class. But um, I, I read a good bit when I was younger. I played a year of college football, uh, three years of rugby. Basketball was my old man's game. And uh, I always loved pickup. The last time I played school ball was eighth grade, but uh, you know, Football was a little better suited to me. Um, and he um, got sick with brain cancer and died in uh, 1981. And uh, it, was, it was a tough thing. He had had a fairly tough life, but um, after he died, I started playing pickup basketball about six days a week. It just made me feel closer to him. And um, before that, I'd play, you know, three or four times a month. But uh, I really just started playing all the time. And I started writing my first basketball book that year. And uh, it just sort of was an organic thing that grew out of my family experience and uh you know um writing is a contracting business and once you write a book uh, a lot of times uh, it leads to other contracts and uh i wrote a book i was a newspaper reporter a police reporter covering the court system but mostly first covering night police in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia in a small city here, 
but um, I uh, once my father died, I you know I I was eager to move on and and learn how to handle bigger narrative projects. And um, I was in grad school, uh, first class, the writing professor said, um, if you're going to be a writer, you better write a book. You know, there's no use in wasting any time. So uh, I had learned to make lists. And so I made lists of, you know, it's not one idea, it's a cluster of ideas. And you don't squeeze your brain trying to come up with one good idea. I just try to make a list of 10 to 15. It's called uh, divergent thinking. And it's really what guides everything I do in journalism and everything. And so I was sitting in class and made a list of about 14. And item number seven on that list changed my life. Um, Ralph Sampson was at the University of Virginia. He was, in his own way, revolutionizing the state. And it was a big cultural story. And I not only have written a lot about basketball, I've coached it a good bit. I, I, I wanted to coach it in addition to playing it so that I would really learn the game. And um, I had a couple of my AAU teams when I was writing about the Bulls run the triangle, and I got to be pretty tight with Tex Winter, the triangle coach, obviously, who later came to the Lakers. And I, I could call up Tex and ask him questions. And, and so it was just kind of an immersive experience. And then um, my Samson book came out, and uh, AP excerpted it because nobody had written about the cultural story. You know, they like to pretend uh, they, they, that we, we don't have a culture, I guess, I don't know. Or they like to pretend that basketball is not part of that culture. And so um, the, the Associated Press excerpted it and then the Sporting News did it, excerpted it in three parts, one of them a cover story and it wasn't long after that that uh, Georgetown won their first uh, national championship in 84. And uh, John Thompson gave me my first big break. They selected me to write their uh, national championship book. And I quit my newspaper job. I was making about 18000 a year. And I was working a lot of hours for that 18K. Um, and I made 30 plus with the Hoyas. And then I worked off and on doing projects for them through about 1990. Had a lot of good experience. Uh, I, I got to know Billy Packer while I was doing the Samson book. And uh, I was... I taught college 21 years. I, I never had a 2.0 in college. I finally graduated with a 1996, but I explained to my students that I got my master's degree on a full ride because they really weren't looking at my grades. They were looking at my writing work. And, uh, you know, writing's all voice. It, it really is just about writing what you want to write and then reading it aloud till it sounds good to you. 
it's not real complicated. The complicated part is always the people, which is the fun part of it. Anyway, um, I, I did ended up doing over the years four or five books with Billy Packer. And we, we did a book on the final four, the 50th anniversary of the final four. And that did real well. And the publisher asked me what I wanted. And the publisher was in Dallas and they were doing these things called the Dallas Cowboys blue book. It was a hardcover coffee table book that came out at the start of every cowboy season. It had all kinds of stories and stuff in it. And so I, I picked two teams. I, I drove a Chevette diesel to a lot of my work. I, you know, it's just, uh, but I, I, I uh, did the Detroit Pistons uh, guidebook for five years. And I did the Boston Celtics green book. And then I, they added the Lakers. I did that. And then magic was out of the game after that. But um, then I, I, you know, I've also found writing as idea driven. And when you're making lists, you, you know, you're just making lists and lists of ideas. And I, I wasn't long writing about the NBA till I realized that there wasn't a current history of the NBA finals. And the, the Celtics screen book had been a nice hit. And so had the Pistons yearbook. Publishers sold uh, nice copies on them. And so... I pitched to the publisher that we do a history of the NBA finals and the NBA, this was back in, I made the pitch in 88 and the NBA really didn't have a whole lot going on. then. I mean, it did, it had, you know, Larry and Michael and magic and the, the assorted competitive personalities of the eighties, but it, it, it was sort of an open range even a guy like me could get a media credential and just go around talking to people. <clears throat> and so um, the NBA loved the idea of doing a history of the finals. You know, the teams in the NBA, they didn't have to pay for any of this stuff. The publisher paid for it, paid me, paid them a royalty. And the NBA finals book, changed my life because I got to talk to virtually everybody in the NBA, all the old timers, really all the decades. I'd gotten tight with Joe Dumars by then, and he wrote the forward for it. Bob Ryan, a really nice guy in Boston, uh, wrote an introduction for it. And um, I was off and running in the Chicago Tribune book division hired me to start writing about the Bulls. And I, you know, I, I'd done a variety, I'd written several books about the Lakers by then. Had uh, the ability to work in LA and Chicago and Detroit and Boston. And, you know, considering that time, I, that was very fortunate. And uh, if I did any stupid shit, nobody noticed too much. And so I, uh, I was able to survive and sort of keep on. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I had a question for you. Um, cause I know you mentioned the midst of writing 
guy for Detroit and Chicago and going to the Lakers, were you traveling back and forth to these locations or were you only? Oh, I, you know, I would drive to Boston from Virginia and that Chevette diesel. I would drive to Detroit too. I'd fly some. There's not a great airport where I live. So I'd either have to drive to Raleigh or Charlotte, a lot of times to Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I, I, starting in 91, no 92, I started teaching college, but I was only teaching college two days a week. And that gave me enough money. I, you know, I would teach four classes in those two days and that gave me enough money to, uh, uh, you know, I had a family, so they gave me enough money to sort of get the bills paid. And then I, you know, I was, I was making about, I think 15 grand for each of those guidebooks. It was about 60. So I was actually doing well pretty quickly. Um, you mentioned, uh, you had relationships with, uh, Tex Winter and also yeah. Billy Packer. Two yeah. of the most, uh, knowledgeable basketball, they both, I think, I know Billy Packer passed recently, I think Tex passed on also. Yeah. Two of the yeah. most knowledgeable basketball people probably who've ever lived. How much basketball did you learn just being around those guys and talking to them and stuff like that? Oh, lots, but I, I talked to everybody. I interviewed everybody. I, I really felt that I had to coach, though, to uh, take it to another level. And there was plenty of uh, there was plenty of coaching vacancies in youth ball. Uh, they uh, they needed people to coach, and I'd be assistant coach. I didn't have to be head coach, but I just. If I knew a coach was pretty good, I'd be an assistant with him. Uh, and, uh, you know, black basketball is different from white basketball. And uh, I, I, I wanted to, I was an assistant on a black basketball team. I learned as much that season as I did in probably in uh, just, all the caginess. Uh, I learned a whole lot from Tex. I learned a whole lot wherever I went. I uh, <clears throat> was having a good time and it was fun. Um, okay, let's get into some of these. What, so you, okay, you said, I think, you, I think your, your first, was your first biography Ralph, uh, Ralph Sampson? I, I wrote a book called Sampson Life Above the Rim. It was the, the contrast of his his story at the University of Virginia, which was Thomas Jefferson's university. And it was a very rich cultural contrast. You know, um, culturally, we're struggling and I have always struggled with any sort of honesty about culture. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I thought for a while it was getting better, but golly. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I just think it's sort of cynical. And that's how I end up writing such long books. My Magic Johnson book, you know, the data mining you can do today is unbelievable. 
And I was able to, for the first time, to trace him all the way back to his third great-grandfathers and his fourth great-grandmother on the plantation of these very, this very powerful family in North Carolina. And whether it's Michael Jordan's family on the coastal plain of North Carolina and his great-grandfather, Dawson Jordan. Um, these backstories, I've had to fight. Editors usually hire me thinking they're going to get a, a basketball story. And I believe me, I really work at the basketball, always have. But um, I think it's sort of uh, misleading, even cynical, to uh, write a biography of uh, a basketball player if you're not looking in-depth at history. And so, uh, because they're, they're very powerful stories. And uh, they, uh, they resonate differently across decades and decades. And the records, you know, there's a lot of people bandying about opinions about our history. But the records, the census records, the, the wills and the, 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 the death certificates and none of that shit lies it, it's not some uh, contrived thing it's real you can trace families back you can see the truth and uh, you know it, it's just uh Telling that complete story is, I like to take the long run. Uh, it's taken me a while. It took me years to get the power to write uh, biographies. You know, you gotta, you, you, you can't just do that. I, I couldn't. Uh, today you have the internet and digital stuff. You can write a lot of what you want, but it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get a publisher. I, I really had to fight. I've got an 830-page Magic Johnson book coming out. <laughs> wow. And, I, you know, I wanted to go into the detail of Magic Johnson in the 1970s with the public busing issues. And... The story of him as a teenager, I was a high school varsity head coach at age 24. And so um, I was a head coach right in that era, in the mid-1970s. This is before I became a writer. And so, uh, and I was in uh, Petersburg, Virginia, where Moses Malone grew up. I was in, at Peabody there, the... Uh, Former black high school had been converted to a junior high, and it was a very large junior high and a lot of racial troubles. And um, so I, I, had, I had a boots on the ground understanding 
And so I wanted to recreate how white and black people were getting together in the 70s and where they understood each other and where they didn't. And I was able to get Magic's coaches, Dr. Charles Tucker, the school psychologist at Lansing who took Magic under his wing. I was able to get all these old heads and people don't lie so much when they get older and they just talked. And, uh, The other part of this is um, I like to write black power stories. And I'm not talking about um, the black power movement of the 60s. I, I'm, I'm talking about the, the real business of black economic power. I, a lot of that is a big part of basketball. Uh, Magic Johnson is a, a very powerful story. You, you know, he he was diagnosed with HIV positive, and so the world sort of dismissed him in a lot of ways. And the story of his business life is the is the full circle, particularly when you look at the journey of his ancestors and put it all together. It's a uh, It's a, it's a story for all Americans. It is, um, I, I just think that, I hope and pray, I'm seven, I'll be 71 in August. I hope and pray this country gets to the point where they understand that being honest about the long view is, is not something to fear. It is something that is celebratory of, about this country. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, there's a tremendous amount of ugliness. I'm not trying to coat, sugarcoat that, but the power of the people who came along. And I really sort of discovered this writing about Jerry West. My old man was a, he was out of the hills of Southern West Virginia. And they had a lot of industrial league basketball. And he, he, you know, he had been, his, he, he was three brothers. They're all nicknamed Hopper. In the thirties, they moved with a series of two handed dribbles. They would hop along and, you know, they had a damn center jump after every freaking basket until 1938. I still can't imagine how they played that game. But my old man played it. His brother was all state. My old man got a scholarship too, but it, his father died this summer. He was going to go off, so he never got to go to school. But the, the point is... Um, I, I was digging into the Jerry West story. It's it's amazing. And I, I I was able to track, you know, his ancestors go back to Jamestown. Lord Thomas West, Lord De La War for Delaware. That's all Jerry West people. And and he along the line, his 
I think great grandfather got thrown out of the family and they became dirt scratching hillbillies up in West Virginia. They didn't have anything. And they, I mean, they got thrown out of a very wealthy family. But, um, but all these stories are celebrations in one fashion or another of uh, the journey. And all this silly fear and political battling over what's going to be taught it really just inhibits and prevents respect. And uh, so I, I, you know, I had a young white editor and uh, he's a good guy, but I, I had all this history in the book. He's going, man, let's move this along. I'm getting bored. And I told him, I said, I assure you, my many black readers are not bored. They want, they want this information articulated. They want it laid out. And they, they want it factual. They, they want it coming right from the numbers. And the numbers don't lie. And, uh, you know, he came around. And he, you know, he had to put his career on the line to do it. Because if this book bombs, he's going to be the one fired, not me. <laughs> but, but that's what book editors are at these big New York houses. They are basically gamblers, gambling on whose book they're going to buy. And so anyway... Uh, for better, for worse, somehow I've gotten to the point where they let me write about this in these long biographies. The Jordan book is in 20 languages. It's sold a lot. Kobe has done well. It's in 12 languages. And so the publishers make money. They understand now. When I first started out, the ignorance in the publishing industry was profound. Oprah did a lot to change that. Um, you, so the Magic Johnson book, you said 830 pages. Yeah, and that's 760 or so is text. It's got all these notes and shit in the back. Right. Okay, so I was just wondering, I mean, Magic Johnson, of course, is one of the most famous athletes of all time, and his exploits are well known. But you wrote a book that's 830 pages. How much new stuff, how much stuff that, about Matt Johnson that you didn't know did you learn in this book? And is there anything that, that kind of stands out in particular? Mountains of stuff. Uh, you know, you're writing a biography. You, you could write a biography of Jesus right now and find out lots of stuff. Um, because Jesus is a well-known story. I mean, Michael Jordan is the freaking gospel. Uh, you, you've got these stories, but the context, beginning in youth, I, I, you know, Michael and his father, magic and his relationship with his father, magic and the community, um, uh, you know, Magic is a guy with a lot of gifts. Uh, I uh, 
I coached some great teenagers when I was young. And then later on, when I was a writer, I, I coached some great teenagers. The Magic Johnson I found as a teenager is pretty freaking impressive. And uh, just watching and getting the detail of how he operated on everything in his life, how his father operated. And, you know, you had all these black families from Mississippi, the, the great migration, uh, Isabel Wilkerson, uh, you know, wrote that great book about the warmth of other sons about the great migration. But <clears throat> a lot of the families in Lansing, Michigan were from Mississippi and Mississippi was not a good place. And uh, so th that all was reconstituted. And the main thing about the Great Migration is it was never covered. It was one of the biggest social movements in American history. And they ought to be teaching that in the schools so that we all have a better understanding of all the violence that created the Great Migration, all the the refugee stories, people having to leave in less than ideal circumstances. And this went on for decades. And so uh, <clears throat> it's really about Mississippi reconfiguring in Michigan. And, uh, you know, uh, just nobody knew anything about each other when we went through. Uh, all uh, you know, the schools integrated when I was in eighth grade. I was thirteen, uh, and nobody. I mean, <clears throat> that began to change <clears throat> today. Um, we have a much better understanding, but we we. I, I don't know why we've gotten into this thing where we we have to uh, try to avoid all of the facts. I don't think that serves anybody. Um, I wanted to ask you about Phil Jackson. You know, when he when he got here to the Lakers, you know, Sam just I kind of like changed my life, like. I had never met any, I'd never seen anybody basically like Phil Jackson uh, before. I was back when he had like the blown out afro. I was like, look at this guy. Um, and writing that, that book about, about Phil, um, do you have any, any takeaways that you would like to share of just what your impression is of Phil Jackson, the, the man, the coach, any of those things? Phil Jackson liberated basketball but he was capable of some absolutely terrible low moments. He could do some really low shit. <laughs> what he did to Johnny Bach was unbelievable. And uh, I, 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 my, my book on Phil was an LA Times bestseller because it was his first. It came out his first season here, and I, I had a high appreciation for Phil. Phil was good to me. 
But he also lied to me about some of the really low shit he'd done. And um, he's a brilliant coach. That doesn't make him some supreme human being. I mean, it's, uh, and he, he can get self-righteous with uh, all the sacred hoop shit and all that stuff. Uh, the people at the Bulls, by the time it was over, they were <clears throat> pissed off at him. He was dealing with the rough situation with Krause, Jerry Krause. But Phil did a lot of really good things. I, I sort of as ascribe to the Tim Duncan perspective. I uh, you know Phil was coaching the uh, All Star team. I forget what year it was. Tex was his assistant, as you know how it goes. And so I was I was asking uh, Tim Duncan what he thought of Tex and Phil. And Tim looked at me and, and he didn't know who I was. He looked at me and said, it's not hard to figure out who the real brains are in that operation. And of course, he was referring to Tex. It was a very funny moment. Phil's a very bright man, don't get me wrong. Uh, Tex is, is, was quite the character. Uh, they made a great team. They had a great staff. It was a great roster. I, I had as much fun as you could have covering those Bulls teams. And they had incredible role players, Ron Harper. And, you know, the, the Lakers got to see that. And when Ron, when they couldn't get Pippen, when Bus wouldn't get Pippen. Uh, and, uh, you know, Phil and Jerry West were sort of in their war. Um. Michael Jordan, uh, and I feel like when, when Michael Jordan went on um, and gave his Hall of, his Hall of Fame induction, Hall of Fame induction speech, speech. Uh, Shane, he'll be right back. But yeah, so when, when, when Michael Jordan gave his Hall of Fame uh, induction speech, um, I feel like that was like the first time that a lot of people kind of saw who the real Michael Jordan was. Yeah, that's a line in the start of my Jordan book. Uh, yeah. They thought they knew him. They did not. Yeah. And then when The Last Dance came out, people got to see it even more. So, But I guess, I, I mean, I feel like I'm with you writing a, an auto, I mean, writing a biography about him. Would you say that you kind of, I mean, I'm a fan of Smith. He wrote the Jordan Rules way, way back. But I don't remember. I'm not sure which book came out, your, yours or his. But, yeah, his came out with uh, in the wake of the first championship. It's a great book. Um, I wrote uh, a variety of books on the Bulls, mostly their coffee table championship type books. And then in 1998, I followed the Last Dance team and wrote a what became a, a USA Today number one bestseller. It was a small publisher, but I uh, wrote a book called Blood on the Horns about the breakup of the Bulls. And I had access to everybody. By that point, I'd spent four years with the team. Uh, I, and so, um, and that's where a lot of the stuff about Phil came out as, as they got to their moment of truth in the last dance season. I, okay, so I just have one more question, uh, personally, and it's about Kobe. 
Um, I've seen some other interviews you did when uh, when Kobe passed, and people were asking for your uh, your insight into Kobe. Of course, the, the book you wrote about, you wrote about Kobe was called uh, Showboat, which I think was like the first nickname that he had on the Lakers. Right. Um, uh, the but I see I traveled with the Lakers, and I wrote a book on Kobe in '99 called Mad Game: The NBA Education of Kobe Bryant. And it was really about all of his struggles as a young player. Uh, I was really worried about him. I've got George Mumford, who is the mindfulness guy. He's got a book out now, Unlocked. He did the Mindful Athlete. George was Dr. J's roommate at UMass. He, he's a... Um, I, I got to know him about 30 years ago. He's one of my best friends. George is brilliant. Phil went looking for George. He wanted a black man who could teach meditation to uh, athletes who were traditionally couched in the church and weren't real receptive. And so um, George always jokes that He's the avatar, but uh, <clears throat> George is absolutely brilliant. But I got him to fly to Houston in 1999. Lakers were playing there, and I introduced him to Kobe courtside. And I introduced Kobe and Tex before Tex worked for the Lakers. Kobe was in a lot of trouble, so I got him talking to Tex, and that sort of raised eyebrows with both teams because you don't have an assistant coach from one team talking to a young star of another one. But Texas, we were that close. And I said, you know, this, this kid, uh, he has so much talent. He's got such a work ethic, but <clears throat> he's in the middle of a major cultural clash. And so anyway, I got George Mumford to go down to meet Kobe before the game in Houston and Kobe looked at him and said, let me get this straight. As busy as the NBA is, Phil Jackson would take time from practice for you to have players sit on a floor and meditate. And George said, that's correct. And of course, George and Kobe, just like Kobe and Tex became very close. And when Kobe retired, he flew George out to Southern California, flew him all over the place in that helicopter, showed him all his stuff. And he told George, I've never forgotten a word you ever told me. And um, it, it was the kind of stuff that it was the one thing Shaq and Kobe could agree about. Shaq called George their secret weapon. And so George was the kind of guy who could create middle ground. And, uh, you know, George had read every book probably ever. He'd spent eight years in a Buddhist monastery. George is a different cat. But uh, he uh, he's a brilliant man and a great friend. Uh, Mr. Mr. Lazenby, is that how you? Lazenby. Lays me. Jack Kent Cook Lazy. told me once I didn't know how to pronounce my own name. That was the guy <laughs> he was. It's it, my name is Vito. It's an honor to meet hey, you. Vito. I'm looking I had one, you now. 
One quick question, sir, if you don't mind. Actually, it's it's two questions in one. Uh, I admire your your work that you've done as a as an author for, especially for the Lakers, from when it comes to your your stories about Kobe to uh, Phil to even Magic. But my favorite book of yours, sir, uh, has to be when you covered the Utah Jazz. Now that 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 subject, sir. Uh, Back in the Jordan times, the Jordan era, I mean, everyone out, out from, I'm from Los Angeles. Everybody out here loved Jordan. And uh, my whole family was everything. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. I was the oddball out of the group. Uh, I actually loved Stockton. I actually loved Malone. I mirrored my game around Stockton. I was very, I was a very uh, plain guy, square guy, you know, when it came to uh, my moves and how I ran the show for point guard. And, and the book that really interested me from, from uh, you know your your stable of work was definitely uh, covering how hard work working of a team that Utah Jazz uh, team was. And my question to you is, have you ever covered anyone harder working than that than that team than a Utah Jazz team? Uh, and uh, let's see, what was the second question? Um, I apologize. I'll that one first, while you think of the second. Okay. Okay. Uh, first, uh, you know, I got to know Jerry Sloan when I was writing the history of the Bulls, the 30-year history. And I'll meet these great guys, and they'll all say something to me that just fucking floors me. And Jerry Sloan was, I, there's so many stories about Jerry Sloan. He was <laughs> the Chicago Bull before Michael. I mean, Sloan was worshipped, in, and he was so intense. He, uh, Johnny Red Kerr roomed with him when they both came to the Bulls from the Bullets, Baltimore Bullets. And and after a game, uh, Jerry Sloan would sit in the dark in the room smoking a cigarette. He was so intense about the game. But Jerry Sloan said, you know, it's a simple game if you lay your heart on the floor every night. Mm. And... Um, I, I, you know, that pretty much summed up for me the beauty of basketball. Just like when Red Auerbach told me, smooth floor, round ball. That's the chemistry of basketball. And there, there are things like that. I've had the privilege of visiting with some great people. Now, the other reason you probably like them is that they were a system team like those Phil Jackson Lakers and Tex Winter Lakers. Sure. They ran all those split cuts. They were they didn't run the triangle, but they ran a lot of complicated shit, and they did it good. And I will tell you that um, Malone and Stockton they 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 didn't back down. You know, a lot of people fear oh. failure. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I've taught college a while. I taught a lot of media in college. And, and I said, one of the things you've got to come to terms with is being able, being willing to live with the outcome after you've made your best effort. Mm. And, and that, to me, the, the Jazz were a team that articulated the very height of basketball, competitive philosophy 
And uh, the the book I wrote about him, Stockton to Malone, hell, it, that book wasn't 100 pages. It was a skinny little volume. They still I read it. Uh, but just being able to talk to Sloan and Stockton and Malone, those guys, that was big time stuff. Big time stuff for me. That leads into my second question, which is, is there any room anymore for a coach like Sloan in today's era? Oh, I think that a lot of the coaches today, they assimilate, you know, it's a constantly changing game. Um, I, 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 I do think that Mike D'Antoni is a really nice man, but his philosophy has did get the game screwed up. I think the game's coming out of it. It's still in a regular season. It's an awful lot of ugly threes. Uh, really screwed up play. Um, but it's evolving away from that too. Uh, not entirely. One, they're shooting threes better. But um, could a coach come in and be that kind of disciplinarian? Yeah, he's going to have to. You know, the, um, Tim Hallam, the PR director for the Bulls, said, uh, you know, if you're going to coach Michael Jordan, you got to have some shit with you. Mm. And Phil Jackson had some shit with him. And uh, I think Darvin Ham this year had some shit with him. Now, he didn't come in like a power base. You know, he was more like Phil in the early days of the Bulls. It wasn't like when Phil came to L.A. and he had all the power of those championships. But I see coaches, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Monty does in Detroit. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, I, there are just certain people you get a sense of that uh, really got their uh, hearts and minds in the right place. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of good things going on in basketball today. I don't like. I think Dan Tony and and I had I've had lots of talks with him about this. He thinks you can't have post play because they don't teach it anymore, and that players today can't really they can't even execute a lot of times a simple drop step. And I, I understand I coached AAU ball. I I've played an eighty two game AAU schedule. Practice time is the AAU is more about playing on weekends and tournaments and going at it. But you can teach players drop steps. They can learn post moves. Uh, big men are going to want to be able to play all over the floor. They should be able to. Magic, that was his revolution. And I, you know, basketball will find its way. When it gets to the playoffs, all the horseshit often slides away. And they, they get pretty serious about doing things defensively. I see a lot of heart. I see pe people making some unbelievable shots. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I think it's balanced out. 
this is the great age of player power. Right. Uh, you know, when you look at basketball history, when the owners had all the power, they fucked up a lot of stuff. They, I mean, you just, you just didn't know who you're going to have owning a basketball team. <clears throat> and back then, they didn't know what they didn't know. There's a bunch of them today the same way. But with player power, that really be began first with Bill Russell and, and Magic Johnson. And I, I, I think those are incredibly important developments. And LeBron obviously has been a, uh, a powerful, powerful figure as an NBA player. Roland Lazenby, I want to uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, yeah, I've got to get on to bed. i got a big day tomorrow. But, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed it, fellas. I appreciate your great questions and uh, your willingness to let me run off at the mouth. I apologize. Oh no, you're a legend. You're a legend. Go on a little bit. But uh let's hope the uh Lakers can regroup and, and really build on this great season they had. That's <laughs> over. Yeah. Amen. They, they learned a lot of lessons. Yeah, a lot yeah. of lessons. Free agency is gonna be really interesting. It starts in just a uh what is today, the twenty seventh, so this week. Friday. Friday. I've I've edited Lindy's Pro Basketball Annual for 28 years. I'm getting ready to do year number 29. Summertime is always uh, it's always a whirlwind. We're headed back into it. You guys take care. All right. Thank you so you much, too, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Yep. Shit, I just went to the Taylor Strip, the Taylor Swift uh, concert, man, and y'all talking about Austin Reeves. Shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. All right, look. So, of course, yeah. So, thank you uh, again, uh, Mr. Roland Lazenby, for, uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, and like I said, his book, Magic, The Life of Urban Magic Johnson, comes out on October 24th. All right, look, we got about 10 minutes left, okay, to talk about. We haven't recorded in, in two weeks, right? Oh, yeah. So we, I mean, the last time we recorded when the finals over, I don't even remember. Um, but we haven't yeah, talked about. I mean, there's so much stuff to happen. We only have ten minutes. We just let's just recap the draft because the draft was most recent. It was on Thursday. Lakers took uh, Jalen Hood Scafino with the um, 17th overall pick. Um, and who would who who did they take in the second round? Maxwell Lewis. Maxwell Lewis. I I can just tell you personally um, that I I was I really was uh, I, if we're up to me the Lakers would have drafted um, Lakers would have drafted Chris Murray, Keegan Murray's brother. Um, I'm not sure exactly where he got taken. I'm pretty sure it was in the first round. Went to uh, Trailblazers. And what pick was that? I want to say twenty. Okay. So he only missed right, right, twenty twenty two. Um, but I think uh, you know Galvis was saying that uh, he wished they had drafted Im Imani Bates because basically he feels like at that slot, why not just swing for the fences and you know Imani Bates is pretty much going to be a, you know he's you know he's even going to uh, basically because of his you know his uh, pedigree being a five star like a big such a big recruit 
out of high school. And I, I, we I, didn't I, draft him. We had the opportunity to draft Imani Bates, and we didn't draft him. <laughs> I mean, he went 29th, so he ain't the only one that passed him up. But no, no, people pass up players all the time. You're going, you don't base it off of your, his injury and his his attitude problem, his character problem he had back in Memphis. Man, that boy can ball flat out, man. Are y'all kidding me? Y'all I mean, gonna let you... <laughs> the talent is there, but I, I was the let me be first player personnel. Shit, man. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, too, Cameron, Cam Whitmore dropped, too. So it was like, you're not the only one. Yeah, but when you have an opportunity to draft a player like Imani Bates, man, come on, bro. That's just a uh, – you got to try that. You got to try it, man. Um, Mitch, how did you feel about the draft and how it went? But what, 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 I'll give everybody, like, one minute that gives the Lakers a, a grade for their draft line. I mean, you know, as far as the draft, I feel like Rob has earned a little bit of trust with that, you know, the gems he's been able to find in the second round. So, um, how do you get credit to that scouting department, then, Rob? But go ahead. (laughs) 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 Not real talk. Jesse, Jesse, I mean, do you want to go first or what? Right, Shane. Why don't you just go first, Shane? Why don't you go? How about that? Okay, I'll go first. I mean, considering I'll, I'll give them an A, considering like at least four to at least four or five of the guys that they got picked that they were picked for in mock drafts that came up were, were already picked before they even got to their pick. First off, secondly, um, uh, what's his name? J JHS and Axwell Lewis. They were both of them considered were graded first round talent and. Maxwell Lewis the bucket, and they're both young, long, athletic, 19, 20 years old. Why ain't you laughing? I mean, if you can go look at the highlights, he's a bucket. And then okay. JSS, um, that Robert Lee was talking about, he, he could he could see him playing alongside Austin Reeves. So I feel like they did good considering. What Darvin Ham's trying to do, because he wants a young, long, young athletic roster, and considering what they could have got, what they they went before they picked, God did a solid job. So, Mitch, okay. if you have to, I'm not, we ain't got time to argue with Shane Bray. It's almost <laughs> over. Mitch, please. Before I'm you just saying, man. Listen, first of all, it's the draft. They're all young players, and okay. if you look at their highlight tapes. <laughs> They're all Some are younger than players. others, but go ahead. Man, can Shane, this guy... We only got five minutes left, bro. We don't have time for your nonsense, man. I mean, you always got to put it two cents in. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, first, they're all young players. It's the draft. Like, if you look at... I mean, you can't go by their highlight tapes. They're all... I mean... I mean, they're all going to look like a bucket. We'll see what happens when there's NBA talent in summer league. You know, that's where you get the first kind of, um, you know, real, like, look at, you know, how their game will translate to the NBA. So we'll see how they perform in summer league. Um, like I was going to say before, Shane Murray rudely interrupted me. Um, you know, got to give Rob, you know, some kind of leeway. Um, I think, I feel like we all... Felt like there were some players like, oh, well, we could have got this guy, but 
you know, that we didn't take them. We ended up taking, you know, the guys that we took. Um, but yeah, I just got to give Rob some leeway. He's uh, found some gems in the second round. He's given us, he's given us hits like Alex Caruso and Austin Reeves. Um, so, you know, definitely got to give Rob some leeway on that. I mean, for, for example, I thought we should have, you know, I was hoping we, maybe we take Amari Bailey. I mean, you know, I, I like him. I mean, you know. I like him. All right. Why we didn't take him? Um, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe variance, I like where he went, though. Like maybe a homer like pick, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I like Amari Bailey. So, and he literally went right after, like, he really, literally, it's crazy to me. But <laughs> Man. Like I said, you know, I'm going to give Rob some leeway. I'll give him a, 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 a let's see. Wow. You know, man, give him a, give him a B. Just give me real a grade. Quick. Just give me a grade. Just real quick, real quick, real quick. As long as we don't have the number eight pick, uh, you look at the look at the history on that. Every number there hasn't been an all star for the number eight pick ever. Wow. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, and then also, uh, let's see: Devaney Banks, Andrew Goodlock, Robert Zachary, and Ryan Kelly. That's all the draft picks that we've drafted uh, before 2014. So post 2014, I'd give overall grade to uh, the Lakers. I'd have to give an A. We found D'Angelo Russell, Zubac, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Those are some ballers, man, ballers. So you know what? A person, I'm just giving you a, per- a, a personal downgrade for this year because we didn't take the players that I didn't want personally. But uh, overall, the last 10 years, you got to give them an A. Got to get the Lakers a for for That's their a draft picks and, and finding hitting gems since 2014. That's a fact. Okay, okay. I, I'll give them a C for this year until further. Of course you will. <laughs> and also they found also they found a couple of nice un, undrafted gems that could make the team this year. So I mean, listen, okay. you know it's hard to say, but like hitting an undrafted is hitting an undrafted player in the NBA is like trying to hit the damn lottery. Like well, your boy you, Austin Reed. You're gonna find undrafted. more successful. You find more successful undrafted players in the NFL. Let's be honest. You could you say that, but your two favorite players were undrafted. Like I said, I didn't say it was impossible. I'm just saying it's like hitting the damn lottery. And I said you're gonna like it's easier to find an un a successful undrafted player in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not like I'm not gonna get my hopes up that oh shoot. Well, they're the next Austin Reeves. They're the next Alex Crusoe. No. I mean, if they pan out, they pan out. If they don't. I mean, there's I mean, several other good examples end right now. Anthony. Anthony. The discussion. Anthony. Anthony. It's over. The number one draft pick couldn't hit a fucking uh, uh, open jump that. shot media day. <laughs> I saw that. That's all I'm going to say. That was hilarious. All right. So then, hilarious. Man, people on, man, but people on Twitter are always trying to anoint him and asking dumbass questions like, oh. Like, oh, well, just you know, who would you rather build your team around? Wendy or it makes no sense to me. Hit that subscribe button next oh, week. Sorry, Herbert. We ran out of time, clearly. So, yeah, I'm not real high on him anyway. So. Sorry, I'm right, late, man. So, before we get out of here, just a few reminders. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button next to the Complete Lakers podcast. If you prefer the audio version, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. The show is also on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and every other major podcaster. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Network and to like it on Facebook. Just search for the Complete Lakers Podcast. And finally, 
Send feedback and mailback questions to completenakedspodcast at gmail.com. We are out.